The Bins Towards Justice podcast series is a partnership between Duquesne University and the August Wilson African American Cultural Center. The series is made possible by a grant from the Pittsburgh Foundation and hosted by Bruce Ledowitz, Professor of Law at the Duquesne University School of Law. Damon Young is an African-American cultural observer and writer. He is editor-in-chief of the blog Very Smart Brothers and a columnist for GQ magazine. His new book, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker, chronicles with humor and pain growing up and becoming an adult as an African-American man living in Pittsburgh. Having read the book, I can say that in addition to everything else, Damon is a great writer. Welcome, Damon Young, to the Ben's Tour Justice podcast series. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the, for the kind words. Great uh, writer, okay. Well, uh, I mean, you know, the podcast is about the teaching of Dr. King, but I, I have to say first about the writing. <laughs> I mean, I try to write, too. So uh, <laughs> I, I, this is from page 47 of the book. You're talking about being uh, out playing football in the street mm-hmm. and um, holding up a car, and the guy comes out mad with a shotgun mm-hmm. and you write we scattered like skittles dropped in a sink how <laughs> how, how long did it take you to write that <laughs> i don't know what 10 seconds so the um the the podcast is about um dr king's teaching mm-hmm. um uh that the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends toward justice what 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 do you think about that teaching I mean, it's certainly very famous in the culture at large I mean, I, I think it's one of Dr. King's many, um, many, many teachings that 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 do apply um, in in a universal context. I would even say evergreen. Um, you know, and, and again, if you believe that to be true, then then again, that's an evergreen concept that never gets stale, never gets old. Um, I am optimistic that that is the truth. I am not certain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a certainty of that um, really depends on your belief. Um, well, it's not dependent on the belief in Christianity. Um, and I am a Christian. Um, but I think that that's a very Christian ethic. That, and what it's basically saying is that the good guys win eventually eventually right, eventually yeah. the good guys win and so and that that eventually might not be on earth that could be an afterlife oh. oh okay um and and again that's a very christian very judeo-christian um way of of seeing things and i personally again i'm a christian and i i do believe that but i think that is a very hard sell well, for people it, it, who, oh, it is a very hard and, sell. And, and particularly if you're not a person who believes in the afterlife, or you believe and you if you believe in like God or or the Christian, you know, um, the Christian idea of God, um, because the evidence around us every day would seem to prove otherwise. It, it seems like the bad guys. I mean, they haven't won. But they're winning in many contexts. And so the arc of the, of the universe bidding towards justice, how long 
Is that arc? How long are we talking? Decades? That's another question. (laughs) Yeah, centuries, uh, millenniums. (laughs) You know, I mean, how how long are we supposed to wait um, for people to do the right thing and for 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 justice, um, for empathy, and and for these you know these very you know positive high minded concepts that that we want. I think everyone wants to believe in them, but um, again, I think evidence. Our, our day-to-day lives sometimes, you know, sometimes do sometimes try their hardest to um, make us not make us have doubts, make us lose faith. Well, and and faith is the right word because uh, you talk about um, not being certain. Um, I don't know that Dr. King. I don't know if that is even the right word for a Christian thinker like Dr. Mm-hmm. King. He had faith. Yeah, and so I guess you could say he was certain, but. He wasn't certain in, in, in the sense of evidential certainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think he was certain in the sense of looking at history, although he probably did look at history mm-hmm. and see progress in a sense. Um, but I don't think, I mean, do you think he was addressing the afterlife in a, in a teaching like that? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a king scholar either. Um and and people maybe with with a stronger background in, in either or both of those fields, you know, might have a better answer. But um but I, I think it's a possibility. Um I, I think that again we are talking about someone who, you know, is a you know, comes from a Christian background, was a reverend, um, and has those those tenets embedded in his teaching and is very radical. Um, you know, very radical, very progressive, even progressive today. Um, things he was saying. Um, oh, there, sure. There died, is a, died supporting a, a, a union strike. Yeah. And um, so I, I don't think that the idea that this 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 bin may not happen in our lifetimes is beyond the realm of possibility for what he was saying. Right. Of course. And but of course that that's that statement could be true and not supernatural. I mean, the you know the the story in the Bible of the four hundred years. Of um, of slavery in Egypt, obviously some slaves died mm. in slavery, and uh, the the Many. rescue comes in in a future time, not supernaturally. Yeah. I mean supernaturally, but not yeah. in and an you, afterlife. And you don't have to go back that far. You could go back. Yeah, well, that's right. I don't have to go back four hundred years in America, where you know, for the you know the people, the enslaved um, Africans who were who were brought over here. Um, Centru- I mean, you know, generations after generations after generations where that that was it. That's right. You know, hundreds, hundreds of years. And that is, I mean, just thinking about that, it's, it's unfathomable to, to, you know, and, 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 and at the time, maybe they didn't know that, you know, to come over here and in the 1600s, 1700s, don't re- recognize how long it was going to be until there was freedom but you know yeah your your grandkids your great grandkids your great 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 grandkids are all going to have the same end and 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 in a situation like that you know obviously it tests the faith of people who who are involved in it but it also tests the faith of people who who read about it who who learn about it and it's like whoa what about those hundreds of years where, you know, yes, you know, things eventually changed and, 
um, there was eventually, um, you know, a, a form of freedom for for the enslaved Africans. But, but it doesn't um, make up for that. But it doesn't make up for those hundreds of years and all the all the the, the, the millions of people who died. Um, and so, <laughs> and so when I, when I think about, um, I've done you know I've done a few few talks and a few panels and, and podcasts whenever and I've been asked about the concept of hope mm-hmm. um, that's the thing in fact I did a thing at the city of asylum um, I guess a couple two or three months ago and uh, if I recall one of the questions was about hope and whether or not I have any and my response was that is a, my first response is that that is an interesting question for you to ask me <laughs> um, just because I feel like Asking me whether I have hope sometimes gives, and this was a white person, sometimes gives white people um, a sort of alle- sort of alleviate skill. It's like, well, if he has hope, then that gives me permission to, to have, to have hope. hope about our racial, you know, morass of, of America. And so that was the first response. And then I also said that personally, I, my hope is limited to what I can see and touch. So do I have hope that America will make this, 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 this dynamic, this, I don't know this paradigm this this complete shift from what it has been constructed to be and what it is today to be in a place that is like truly progressive truly you know equitable um i i don't know i don't think so Mm -hmm. but do i have hope that my my kids can have a good life do i have hope that my wife can do I have hope my family, my friends, and the people who aren't my family and friends that I could personally interact with, and and have a relationship with the people who maybe read my book, people who, you know, um, are are within my sphere of influence. I do have more hope mm-hmm. for that. But once you're out of my eyesight or earshot, then, then, you know, to be honest, no. Well, of course, you're also a very particular thinker. I mean, you, you are really a, an observer of particular situations. So maybe, <laughs> m- maybe you're, you're not built to think in that sort of abstract, generalized way. And that, that could be true. You know, that could be true where I, um, I, 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 am, a, I am an observer. Um, it's funny. Um, my, when I was younger, much, much younger, talking like six, seven, eight years old, I didn't really speak much. And my um, my parents, my aunts, uncles, sometimes would you know wonder if like, is he okay? Mm-hmm. Is he is he upset? Is he mad? Is he? And you know, I was having a conversation with my aunt, uh, my my aunt Jean, who lives in Cincinnati. A conversation with her about a year ago or so, and she brought that up. And she, what she said was, you know, you were just listening and observing. Uh huh. That's just that's just what you were doing. That's what you do now. You're just paying attention, watching, taking notes, making observations, keeping most of them to yourself. 
you know, and, um, and yeah, you know, it's just that now I have a book. Right. <laughs> not not <laughs> keeping it all, to yourself yeah, anymore. Yeah, all. It's like, here, 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 here they go. Here's 300 pages worth of them. Uh, are you surprised that, um, given your views of American society, and in particular, uh, white nationalism, white racism, that um, the, the only figures that I know of uh, in, that are sort of universally recognized in America in a positive way are African Americans. I mean, I, I, I put together a list after reading the book, and, and, and I mean, this could simply be unexplainable. But you, you've got Dr. King. Everybody loves him, despite the vote today in, in Kansas City, which I don't know how it went. But um, what was the vote there in was, Kansas City? There was, there was a terrible um, controversy in Kansas City. Kansas City is the last large city that didn't have anything named for Dr. King. Okay. So they were going to change a street. And, okay. and there actually came to be objection. Well, I, and again, I think, I think we have to be careful with, with using universal terms like everyone, everybody. Right. Fair um, enough. You know, I, I, someone said this online a um, couple, couple days ago, and I don't know if I disagree with this, where um, if, if Dr. King's holiday was not a thing, I do not think that it would be a thing today. Like I, I, if, if, wouldn't it become a national holiday in 1980? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't know. We could, someone could Google that. Um, but if it wasn't a national holiday and it was up, like someone introduced this, introduced a bill or introduced a measure or whatever, I do not think it would have happened today. Oh, I, I, I guess I do disagree with you about that. I mean, I see people perhaps, um, Perhaps it's hypocritical, but you know you you, you see people who um, have not exactly progressive views on race loving to praise Dr. King. Well, they love to uh, pray. They love to to use Dr. King's words as like they use the we- they like to weaponize Dr. King's words and take like it's almost like they're at Dr. King is a buffet mm-hmm, and they yeah. like they take bits and pieces. You know, I don't want the all you can eat shrimp, but I'm going to take some of the. <laughs> I'm going to take some of the zucchini. I don't want the steak, but I'm going to take some guacamole. And so they're just taking bits and pieces of his message and using it to, you know, really undermine to under yeah the undermine. whole thrust of his yeah. Of his so ministry. I don't know if I would consider that to be love. It's more of a. I don't know, like a, a shameless appropriation. Now, um, do you have a, an idea of what? Racial justice would look like if it, if 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 it ever came. Um. Oh wow. Justice. Justice is hard because justice. Um. There are a lot of wrongs that would need to be righted for like a a complete justice, and we're talking like historic, you know, hundred year old wrongs that are still, you know, that still have effects today. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't. I I honestly don't know how that would look. Like I'm watching Watchmen right now on HBO, mm-hmm. and it 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 um it's it's a very interesting show. I don't know if it's good, but it's interesting. Like I'm extremely interested in it and what's going to happen next. And one of the um, I guess one of the details of the show that's different from what's happening, you know, in in in, in real life is that there is a form of reparations. Mm-hmm. That is be that has been paid to to victims of racial violence, mm-hmm. 
Um, and so this this is an America where this is happening. Where reparations have happened. And and what and one of the conflicts in this show is a reaction to those reparations. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm using like this this um you know this 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 fabricated TV example of how things might look with um with with just with complete like racial justice. Um, but again, I mean that that involved that would be just a much different America. There's a much different country. Um, and when I talk about hope and, and, and hope does involve hope in that context, I, that's, I think is where my hope kind of stops right. because what would need to happen for, uh, not, not like a measure of justice, which we have in increments, but like total, I mean that we, we would need to we would need to start over. Mm-hmm. And you you wrote that um, even as excited as you were when Obama was elected, President mm-hmm. Obama was elected, you were never a, a racial Pollyanna. That you you never thought that that was going to change yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike some of us who thought it would change everything. <laughs> well, I, I you know it did change things. Um, I, I think that. Um, it 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 exacerbated like his 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 presence his status mm-hmm. exacerbated you know certain racial anxieties <laughs> you have a face in the book certain racial you, tensions you say that president obama was re- repelled some people for some mysterious reason oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah what could that possibly yeah, well, who, be who knows who knows who knows why who knows why um, you know, Obama was followed by the current president. Who who knows? Why why? Why why is Donald Trump our president? Why did it happen in 2016? Why not 2008? What was so special about Obama that you know Donald Trump would be the would be the person elected to follow him? Right, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, and, and would and would Obama have become president if it hadn't been for the collapse of the economy? It's a very it's it's an open question. One would never know. Well, and that that actually, you know, that's a, that's the thing that um, you know, a couple of friends and I have you know joked about before is where, you know, black people don't really tend to get jobs like that unless we're like the last option <laughs> just like you know what things are really messed up so let's let the black guy let's let the black woman fix it mm-hmm. um you know and that that's obviously not always the case but you know in, in obama's um case you know I, I i wonder if he would have been elected also wonder if he would have been elected in a town of prosperity right yeah um now you 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 say that you're a christian and this is an important theme in the book but it was very surprising. You say that as you were growing up, your family did not go to church. And for uh, persons of your parents' age, that must have been a little bit unusual in the yeah. black community. Yeah, well, my parents, grew up, they both grew up in a church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd actually have to ask them why we didn't go as often because we, you know, we had Bibles in the house, as I said in the book, we would pray before meals and, you know, say prayers before bed. 
I would go to church when I was visiting my grandparents in Newcastle. Um, but we just didn't get up and go and mm-hmm. in, in, on Sunday, um, Sunday mornings. And again, I don't, maybe there was a reason for that. Maybe it was just, just want to sleep in, which is a, which is also a good reason. But, um, but yeah, I, I'd have to, in fact, I'm going to ask my dad. Because he goes now. My, oh, no, my dad, I, yeah. I, I, have, I, I used to see him reading a Bible on, on the stoop across the street. Yeah, he um, he goes to Mount Ararat. He's there. And he's one of those guys that Saturday night service, Bible study, mentoring, cell groups. Like, he does all of that. He's one of those three, four day a week church people. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's a, and a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, now you you were baptized late in life. Yeah, like you were thirty five or something, something like that. Around like thirty five, thirty six. Mm-hmm. Now Jesus, 35. Jesus in the book, is is not a theological figure, but is a guide to proper living. <laughs> is that different once you're baptized? Actually baptized, is it more theological now? That I honestly, I I don't, I haven't felt any substantive change. And how I, how I live my life, um, I, I don't know if you could separate. You know, okay, this is pre-baptism and this is post-baptism, Damon. Um, you know, I, I know that I can join churches now, mm-hmm. and we were able to join Montera, and we ended up actually leaving. We were we were regulars there, and then we. Just, I don't know. We 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 go to Macedonia now in the mm-hmm. district, and um, we're thinking about joining mm-hmm. there. And so, you know, um, being able to join a church was was something that my wife, you know, wanted me wanted, and you know, it was also wanted it too. Yeah. But it was a thing that um, she was definitely the more insistent one. No, you was, but you didn't have any trouble with the profession of faith. No. No. Mm. Right. Mm. So, do you see? Um, a future in, uh, in politics. I, I was surprised that your no. your columns are 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 quite political. No, I I I and your blog. I entries. talk too much. I, I say too many offensive things to ever run for political office. Like I could see. I I, I mean I if if I had any interest, any aspiration in doing that. I can imagine my campaign would end on the same day it began. <laughs> Someone just tweet out an old article or tweet out a joke that's taken out of context, or maybe not taken out, out of context, not, not <laughs> taken out of context at all. And and then like yeah, I, I I can't continue with this. But I've never had any any interest in politics because they're too political. But it but it's funny because uh, you have you're you're such a sharp writer that there are certain phrases you use that could easily end political careers. The, <laughs> the one the one I'm thinking of is Joe Biden's the last man in America to know he won't be president. Yeah, yeah, you know Biden. Um, Biden should be the next guest on your podcast. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. He, well, he may have time on his hands. It may be possible. Yeah, he, he should be doing things. He should be doing stuff. He should be writing books, writing memoirs, hanging out at bars. He should be at the Monterey Pub right now, you know, watching the game, having a drink, and not running for president. Um, may I ask, why, 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 why do you write? Um, if, you, if it's, not, it's not political, 
You're not trying to change or have an effect on issues. So what is, is there some effect that you're hoping for? Um, I mean, I, I would, I would hope, yeah, that, that, um, that there is a, that my writing contributes to the greater good. Oh, that's, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would like for that to happen, but that's not, I'm not going to reverse engineer, like, intention. Um, because that's not a thought when I'm actually sitting down and writing. It's a thing that, okay, this is, this exists in the world now, and, oh, sure, yeah, I hope it, you know, it, you know, I hope it has a positive impact since it is there in the world now. But when I'm writing, when I'm sitting down and I'm writing, um, I enjoy the process. Um, and I'm just trying to make sense of the things that are happening in my head and, and, and trying to just articulate my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my desires, my anxieties, insecurities, vulnerabilities, dreams as best as I could, as best as, best as I can. Um, sometimes I do that by talking about myself and my own experiences. Sometimes I, I'll choose a subject um could be political could be food related could be sports related could be pittsburgh related could be infusion of all of them um but yeah i just i just really enjoy it now do you think of yourself as an african-american writer that's how you're always described um i i would prefer black mm-hmm. instead of african-american um and yeah i mean i i i think I, I don't think I don't think you can divorce any part of my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, you could you could you could sparse or, or separate any parts of my identity from themselves. So, me being black definitely matters. Me being a Pittsburgher matters. Me being a, a man, a straight man, forty years old, ex basketball player, like all of that stuff. All those are all different ingredients in in this stew of me which is not see there i go with the food thing um now are you are now, you are you surprised when white people find your work so accessible and and universal not surprised but i i i do sometimes feel a little um off put mm-hmm. by it and i but the thing is i i do want um people to continue to read my work continue to buy my book Mm-hmm. Support, you know, whatever. But sometimes I do feel, you know, because I, I do write things that are a little harsh about about race, about white people, about racism, about white supremacy. And when people are loving it, then I do sometimes feel like you're not supposed to like this this much. You know, what... Is there something that I'm saying or something I'm well, doing? Now, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean that. And when I said universal, I, you were describing being followed by a policeman, mm. and and being followed by a policeman for a black person is different from an old white guy like me. Nevertheless, you you said in your book that you you always think about taking the next right turn. And I thought I was the only person who thought that <laughs> when there was a policeman behind uh-huh. him. Is he following me? And, and should I tell by taking the exit? Mm-hmm. And then would he follow me off the exit? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I meant 
that when you talk about your relation with women, when you talk about your your, your baby girl, um, you just touch on 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 matters that are universal in the sense that many people feel them. Oh yeah, you know, I and I agree with I agree with you with that. Um, so when the idea. This is going back um, a little over three years, almost four years now. So when I was first connected with my agent, uh, Tanya McKinnon, my literary agent, and she, um, we were connected through a mutual Facebook friend. And she asked me, it's like, you know, I've been a big fan of your work, you know, um, do you have any book ideas of mine? And I, I shared one with her mm-hmm. where it was going to be a book that was similar in nature to Very Smart Brothers, where... Like it, a book about race and about America and about pop culture, whatever, you know. But each chapter was going to be like a different subject. Mm-hmm. So like chapter one is an essay about white privilege. Chapter two is an essay about basketball. Chapter three is an essay about cultural appropriation and gentrification and East Liberty or whatever. And she, you know, was just... Like, well, you know, that's a good idea. But I think I have something better for you. And she's the one who pushed me to write a memoir. Which turned out to be the same book. Yeah, but, but in, in, in her rationale was you could insert all of those concepts, but also tell a story with a narrative. Mm-hmm. And, and, and talk about your life and your own experiences and vulnerabilities and anxieties and self-consciousnesses. And that's where you'll get to connectivity. That's where people are going to, yeah, they'll read about these larger themes, but what'll, what will connect them, what will make them want to buy your book and, and pass it on and savor it and, and enjoy it is that universal, universe, are those universal concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where maybe not everyone has had the experience as a, of a 40-year-old black man from East Liberty, but everyone has experienced doubt. Everyone has experienced fear. Everyone has been self-conscious. Everyone has had like a somewhat of a journey to get comfortable in their own skin. And and so if you want to write a book that really hits people, then you need to write a, a memoir. And um, I balked at first because I had I had this idea in my head and I, I just, you know, and the thing is, I knew she was right, but I didn't want to just say that immediately. So I gave her about a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I came back. It's like, yeah. But um, the downside of the memoir, though, is the truthfulness that you bring about people who are still around. I mean, is that does that make other people uncomfortable and who are in your in your life still? I mean, the people who um, who I who are in my life, who I who I wrote about, um, mentioned my dad before. There's an entire chapter about my wife and how I met my wife, and it weren't wasn't the most like favorable circumstances around that. Um, there are friends who are who are who are mentioned who are very prominent. Um, in fact, um, one of my ex girlfriends who's in the book um, actually just went to her wedding last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I still have good relationships like that. That crew of PhDs yeah. that I write about, I'm still those are still my very good friends. Um, and what I did um, when I had the outline of the book in my head. And, and had an idea of what I was going to write. I reached out to anyone where there was anything even remotely unflattering about them in a book. Mm-hmm. 
and I um I told them my plans and everyone was like okay yeah I'm, I'm fine with it I trust you go ahead wow and then after I wrote it I went back again here it is I'm gonna let you read this first did your agent know I know you were doing mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. she encouraged it wow and and you know because yeah, my book has to exist in the world, but so do I. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't... Although there are plenty of writers who have burned bridges over things like this. And I'm, I, I, you know, I don't want to be one of those people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to be a person who, who puts things out there that are unflattering about other people that I'm close to. Um, and now... There is one chapter though, the th- the the basketball chapter, the Thursday night hoops chapter, mm-hmm. where about law, yeah. Um, now a lot of those names have been changed and details or whatever, but that you know that chapter was a pretty accurate articulation of my feelings. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 week that Trump was elected, and um, and there are people, you know, in that chapter who had no idea. That book or that chapter was being written, and 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 until the book was actually published. Has there been any fallout from that? It hasn't been. No, not that I know of. Are you still choosing sanity over integrity? That's how you put it when you said, "I'm going to continue playing basketball with people who voted for Trump." Um, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I don't I don't know. You know, I um and it, it's it's funny cuz okay, so that chapter just for more of a context um it tells the story of this Thursday night basketball game, this regular game that's been going on for for decades. And I've I've been I've been a regular there for probably about 10 15 years now. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys is also a regular. I found out you know, was a pretty, you know, ardent Trump supporter. Um, and and so Trump wins. And I think the election was, what, a Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday? Wednesday? Yeah, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Tuesday. And, and so the regular game was that Thursday. And I was devastated, outraged, angry, you know, all, all, all the sad and scared, like all of the negative emotions a person possibly have. And for years, that Thursday night game has been like my, my weekly catharsis, my weekly like self-care. It's like, oh, this is a game I really enjoy playing. I, I really enjoy the guys I play with. I, I really enjoy the rules of the game there, you know, because there are variations to pick up basketball rules everywhere you play. Every court has its own has its own rules. But this is also a game where not only do you have that one white guy who I know is a Trump supporter, most of the regulars are white. Mm-hmm. I'm not the only black guy, but the majority of the people who go to this game are white. And that week, I just didn't feel very comfortable around any white people. Right. But then there's this game, again, which is how I feel better about things. And so there's this, you know, I guess there's a bit of a paradox. Right, which is what, and you call it sanity, sanity or integrity. Sanity or integrity. And 
you know, and I, I've, I've talked about this chapter and I'm still thinking through it, you know, when people ask me about it and I, and, and I, and I respond to it. How, when I go to commonplace, how do I know that my favorite baristas there aren't Trump? supporters too when I go if I go across the street to Monterey Pub how do I know the bartenders or the servers or if I go down the street to the Y mm-hmm. and is that sort of negotiation is uh, is, a, is a constant thing for black people in America particularly black people who, who live around white people or who work with white people who, or who maybe are in a family where you have white family members and that sort of negotiation is it's I'm not going to say that it's necessary to divide while black, but it's, it is not, I'm not singular. And if I stopped doing things just because I suspected that someone involved might be, a racist or might be supporting a racist then I don't know if I would do anything mm-hmm. but there's that but then there's also the viewpoint where I could say well it's fine if there's an ignorance if you just don't know there's a possibility yeah this person might be might not be but what do you do when you do know mm-hmm what do you do when you're certain? See, even here, uh, talking earlier about universal themes, mm-hmm. I used to belong to a community. Um, I, I don't longer practice Judaism, but I remember growing up and having conversations or hearing conversations about Jews and the Goyim. Mm-hmm. And there was one conversation mm-hmm. inside and a different conversation outside. And it was always a matter of negotiation, as you put it. And so... It's, even that seemed familiar to me, reading, reading your book. Um, the not quite feeling as part, of the, as part of the whole. Yeah. And, you know, it's... You know, I do a lot of traveling now. Um, I'm in airports, you know, frequently. Pittsburgh Airport, obviously. Um, and there are, there, are, there are many times... When I'm in an airport, I'm going through security and there's like this long line. And, you know, it's just a, a Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. And I look around at the people in line, at the people working, at the people even working in the little shops that are around, that are, that are within eyesight. It's like, I am the only black person here right now. And this, and that is... We, and when I say we, I mean Black Americans are are used to that, you know, um, being the only one, being in spaces where you just happen to be the only Black person in the store, maybe you just happen to be the only Black person in the classroom, right? You know, maybe you just happen to be the only Black person at the restaurant, um, you know, and and we have more experience with that than the, I guess, than the inverse. 
where um than than white people do with being the only white person in a space. Mm-hmm. You know, being the only white person in uh you know in a restaurant or at the airport or in the school or, or whatever. And um I just think that that experience, you know, it's just it's just one of many negotiations. Um sometimes invisible, sometimes very visible. Um do they add up? Do they do they do they do they contribute to this general sense of anxiety and displacement? I'm sure they do. You know, I'm sure you know, just the just the just the perpetual wonderment of whether your race has, has impacted your treatment. Um you know, that that just that just wears away at you after a while. It's like you know, sand on the beach. Well, I, and, and I, before we finish, I, I have to ask you about what is probably the most powerful line for me in your whole book. Um, your father is talking to you about not trying to appease white people. Mm-hmm. And he says Martin Luther King was killed in a suit. Um, what, did, what, what did that mean to you? What does that mean to you now? Well, it, 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 it means that any... I think that a black American at the, at this point should should recognize that that respectability, um, respectability politics is a fraud. That um, any measure of of trying to to you know appeal or trying to prove like your humanity, you know by by any sort of measure of behavioral deodorant, you know where you're performing. Um, for white people in order to prove that you are worthy of citizenship, worthy of rights, worthy of humanity. You know, I, 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 I again, I'm, I, I know that that just does not work. Um, because anyone who doubts your humanity, who doubts your citizenship, doubts your, your, you know, your, 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 your livelihood, there's nothing that you can do to there's no tie you can wear there's no music you can or can't listen to there's no way you can speak that's going to sway them so why even try and again wear what you want to wear listen to what you want to listen to you know um, be who you want to be but don't do those things to try to get them to see you as more human well, Damon, I, this has been a wonderful conversation, and um, I just want to thank you again for, for your willingness to um, participate in the podcast. Oh, thank you, Bruce. Thank you for having me on. Funding for the Bins Toward Justice podcast is provided by the Pittsburgh Foundation and is brought to you by the Duquesne University School of Law and the August Wilson African American Cultural Center. Bins Toward Justice is hosted by Professor Bruce Ledowitz and our executive producer is Jennifer Rignani. Our sound technician is Jason Malato. Taylor Fife is our editorial assistant. For more about Duquesne University School of Law, visit duq.edu forward slash law. For information about the August Wilson African American Cultural Center, visit aacc-awc.org. For Bends Towards Justice, this is Ronald Lee Newman.